Well, good morning, everybody. Um, again, happy Memorial Day. And if we've not met yet, my name is JP, and I would love to be able to meet you um, after service. And uh, as, as Carol mentioned in the announcements, we hope that you know, whether it's your very first time or whether you've been here for years, that you are prayed for, cared for, and loved before you walk into this room. And, and it's, it's true. We want to be able to pray for you before you walk out of the room to know how to best pray for you. And so if you are newer with us or whether you've been with us for a while, uh, what we like to do at the beginning of our sermons is just take a couple of moments to look at where we've been so we know where we are so we can be excited about where God is taking us. And so we are in this series called I Am, and we've already done a few weeks of those starting in Easter. And if they're the seven I am statements from the Gospel of John, in which Jesus, as he's saying, I am this, he's hearkening back to Exodus 3.14, using the very same verbiage, proclaiming his divinity that when God was asked by Moses, who are you? He says, I am who I am. And so Jesus is very intentionally and very clearly proclaiming his divinity by, through these I am statements through the Gospel of John. And so we looked at the first one in Easter, and the first week we looked looked at the idea that when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And our main point was that Easter isn't just about how Jesus resurrected 2,000 years ago. Of course, that's huge. But it's not just about a past event. It's also about how he is the resurrection and he's still providing hope. So it's not a past tense, it's a present tense, and it still has the ability to change our future. The next week, we looked at the idea that that he says, I am the bread of life. And we talked about this fact that while our stomachs may rumble and our hearts may grumble, Jesus alone can satisfy our hunger. And so we looked at how we may long for things of this world. We may grumble against God when things aren't going the way that we want them. Yet Jesus alone is the one who can satisfy not just our superficial hungers, but the deepest hungers of our hearts, of our souls. The ones that when we lay our head at the, on our pillows at the end of the night and we question the big questions, Jesus alone is the one who can satisfy those hungers. Now, the next week, we talked about the idea that Jesus is the door out of the old life and into the full life, that it's not just about changing what we believe, but how we change not just the old life and believing the way that the world has taught us to, to think and to act and to respond. And it's not just that we experience a new life. That is true. But at the end of that passage, this comes from John chapter 10. At the end of that passage in John 10, 10, it talks about not that he just has given us new life. He has, but he's given us life and life to the full. And so what does it look like to have a full life? And then uh, two weeks ago, we had uh, the idea of Jesus is the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And our main point was that we all need a shepherd, but only the good shepherd will satisfy our deepest needs or will meet our deepest needs. And so uh, we've been kind of looking at all these things. And then if you were with us last week, uh, we had an incredible time looking at the, uh, watching the Kids Praise uh, production company put together StarQuest. And so, uh, man, it was so fun. Uh, and the kids did a great job. The adults that were leading it did a great job. And so uh, we are kind of took a little halftime break in the midst of the series to have that. And we will continue for the next three weeks to close out our series. Um, and if you want to catch up on any of those messages, you can go uh, to palmerado.com slash messages. You can also find us on uh, Google Play or Apple Podcasts, uh, just in order to catch up. I just gave you, obviously, a brief summation, uh, but there's you know, more to it than just me talking for 30 seconds on each one. So uh, if you want to follow up, you can do that as well. But before we dive into this week talking about Jesus saying, I am the vine, I would like to ask that you would join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for what God has for us. 
Father God, we thank you that you are here in this place, and I thank you for each and every person that is here, Lord. Whether they've been planning on coming, whether this is their routine, or whether they are coming for the first time in a while, God, I know that each and every person here is loved by you, and each and every person that is here is here for a reason this morning. And so I pray, God, that you would uh, speak, that you would um, open up our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to what you have for us. Lord, I pray for everyone who might be listening online later, that again, that you would open up and allow us to receive what you have for us. God, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. May you be glorified, and may we find our purpose in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a couple weeks ago on uh, Saturday morning, um, I had plugged my uh, phone in overnight, um, which I know isn't the best, but you know, uh, be able to have start the new morning with the charged battery is always exciting. And so I used it for a little bit, and then I went back, um, and I was going to plug it back in, and all of a sudden, uh, my my cable would not fit into the port anymore at all. And so I tried to like you know, like most things. I'm like, oh, should I be gentle with it? I'm like, no. So I just started like jamming in there. I tried to like wiggle it. And I'm like, you know, try to like find little tools I could put in there. It, it was one of those, I'm like, okay, honey, I got to go to um, the Verizon store, see if they can look at it. And, you know, the guy looks at it and fla- uh, shines a little flashlight. He's like, you know, it looks like there's something that broke in there. And, you know, I'm not quite sure. We can't fix it. We can't plug it in. And what turned out is that uh, I looked at my charger later on and like one whole, like one little side of it had been ripped off. And so apparently just jamming things in isn't a good idea in life. So um, it ended up being this thing where we went to the Verizon store on a Saturday, right when it opened and they said, hey, you know, you have insurance because this isn't the first time I've needed it. And um, (laughs) it's one of those, we have insurance. And so they could, we could send it off and, and they could send a new phone. But the problem was, was that I wasn't going to be able to have a, my phone for, for a couple of days. So we had a backup um, and we, we used that. But here's the thing. I learned very quickly that a phone without the ability to be connected actually is kind of worthless. Like it's okay, it's good, you can function, but I knew that once that battery ran down to zero, I couldn't back up anything on my phone. I couldn't keep all my contacts. And, and it, you're thinking to yourself, well, if you're a responsible human being, you'd be able to back it up on a computer. I'm like, good point. But it's one of those where I, you know, now I've switched it so that it, it backs up more frequently. But I ended up having about a three-day thing where I, was, I didn't have any of my, um, I wasn't able to use most of my apps and all these different things. And I was able to function, but it wasn't great. And I ended up the next day when I got my new phone, I had to go through all my text messages because I had lost every new contact, every new number from when we moved to San Diego like 15 months ago. And so I'm like looking through text messages and I'm like, oh, this is from so-and-so and I'd add it and I'd add the contact, go to the next one. And it took a while. And so have I learned my mistakes? Yes, I have. But the thing is, is that we look at this idea that I lost information and the phone without being connected ended up not being able to be very helpful, very fruitful because... I wasn't able to back it up. I wasn't able to charge it. I wasn't able to do anything with it. And although that might be a rough analogy, the idea here is that, you know, for many of us, our phone is our life or we feel like, you know, it has everything that we need. And I learned that. Um, But the truth is, is that in our life, we try to find what our purpose is. And a phone without that charging point, the purpose is to be a phone, which who does that anymore? Um, But the idea is that it's one of those where I I lost all the other functionality that I was able to do. 
And in our lives, if we are not connected, if we are not plugged in, if we are not remaining in, abiding in the vine, in the one true source of our power, the source of our life, then we might be able to make it through for a couple days, maybe a couple weeks, maybe a couple months, maybe even a couple years. But when it comes down to it, we start to recognize that without being connected to the power and the source of life, we end up slowly fading away and withering and our soul starts to get sadder and we start to get overwhelmed and it, it reveals to us the importance of being abiding in the vine, connecting to Jesus and remaining in him. So our main point for today is this idea that as followers of Jesus, our purpose is to have both a living and a loving union with him. So if you are a note follower, we have our notes here for you. Uh, you can fill in the blanks. But as followers of Jesus, our purpose is to have both a living and a loving union with him. And let's see what that means together. You're going to turn to uh, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. If you are using the church Bible, if, if you're newer with us, in front of you there's a church Bible underneath the seat. We're going to be on page 1676, 1676. If you have your own Bible, if you're using a Bible app or whatever it may be, we're in John chapter 15, 1 through 11. Now, there's an important part about that main point that I want to focus on is that it starts off with the main point of saying, as followers of Jesus. And throughout most of the I am statements that we've studied so far, and I admit we are, we're going out of order, um, and that's just due to scheduling and, and different things, but this is technically the last I am statement that Jesus makes, and it's also the one that has the smallest audience. That when he says, I am the bread of life in John chapter 6, he's speaking to the people who had seen him feeding 5,000 men, not including women and children, the next day. So there's a large crowd. That when he's talking and he's saying that I am the, uh, the door, I am the good shepherd, he's sharing that to other people who are seeing how the Pharisees have responded to a blind man who had been healed. And so he starts to, he's speaking to a crowd. And so we start to see this idea that the the smaller it gets. So in John chapter 14, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, which we'll see in a couple weeks. And then in John 15 here, this is after the Last Supper. So this is the smallest group to which he is sharing this I am statement. And it shows us that he's not just talking to the crowds because there are messages for the crowds when he says, hey, I, you need to know that if you're far from me, that I am the one who can satisfy your hungers or I am the one who can meet your deepest needs. But when it gets to his closest community, when it's his closest few, then he, these are the different I am statements he says. And one of them is this idea that you need to have your purpose of having a living union as well as a loving union with me. So what does it look like in your notes, just to kind of set the parameters there? What does it look like? What does a living union with Jesus look like? And again, in order for us to understand kind of what this living union looks like, we need to kind of look into a few of the different aspects of the living union between a vine, the branches, the fruit, the gardener. Who are the, what does it all look like? How does it come together? And then what does that teach us about our relationship with God? So the first part of your notes there is that because Jesus is the vine, he is the source of life. Because he is the vine, he's the source of life. I'm going to read John chapter 15, 1 through 5, or 1 through 4, and we're going to kind of go back a little bit more slowly. But here's what he says. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit in it by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So in the very beginning, he proclaims himself, verse 1, I am the true vine. Now, in the Old Testament, the vine uh, metaphor was used as a way to symbolize the people of God, the Israelites. And in Revelation, it talks about how there is a vine that is the Gentiles, those who weren't Jewish, the Gentiles who um, are being ripened for judgment. And so Jesus is kind of, what it says when he's the true vine is like he's the original vine. He's the original source. He is the original one that we receive life from. Because without him, again, we are like a phone that is unplugged, that we are going to just slowly have a life that is draining until the moment that there's no more power, until the moment where we won't be able to wake up again. But this idea that Jesus is the firstborn, Jesus is the one through which we receive life. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17 on the screen, it says, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That he is the source of our life. That God has created it. He is the creator, but it is through Jesus that things have been created through him and for him. And so if someone is far from Jesus or if you're in a place where you don't believe in Jesus or you don't really know what that looks like yet, I understand and, and, and I just want to encourage you that you'll be trying to find your source for power, your source for life in all the wrong places that it'll be so easy for us to pursue what the world tells us we need to pursue in order to be successful. And so then you'll go to the right college and you'll get the right career and you'll find the right salary and you'll move to the right neighborhood and you'll build the right house and you'll be able to put your kids into the right college and they would just perpetuate the American dream rather than recognizing that God's dream is that we would Get rid of all of our belief that we are the ones that can make things happen, that we would plug into the source that Jesus is the one that allows things to happen, that we don't live a rags-to-riches story like the American dream is, but we follow a riches-to-rags God who came from the riches of heaven and came to the rags of a manger so that we may have eternal life and experience the riches of heaven. And so we look at this, that if we start to try to look anywhere else for the source of life other than Jesus... This vine analogy shows us that we're going to fall short, we're going to miss it, and we're going to have a life that's going to be draining and bringing us down. The next point is looking at the idea of the gardener, because God is the gardener in your notes. He prunes us so we can bear more fruit for his glory. The verses 2 through 3 talk about this idea that he cuts off the branches that bear no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that will be even more fruitful. What does that verse tell us? It tells us many things, but if you were to look at what is the purpose of a branch being connected to the vine, it's not just so that the branch can be a branch. The purpose is to bear fruit. And then if we are not having a living union with God, if we are not having a living union with Jesus, with the vine, and we are one where we're just, we say we're connected, but in the end, we're a branch that's dying off and we get 
cast aside, that we, we've removed ourselves from a relationship with God. But if we have been able to bear fruit, it doesn't say that your life is going to be easy. It says that God, as a responsible gardener, will prune the fruitful branches, not because he likes to inflict pain, not because he's something where he's you know, a masochist who just wants to hurt his followers and his children. Why? He prunes us so that we may bear more fruit, so that we would be more fruitful for the glory of God. That we see this idea of pruning and, and cleaning. And if you've ever, you know, you, you have kids or if you've ever had to have a wound that has been cleaned, if you've hurt yourself and someone comes to clean it, we recognize that we're trying to help. Recently, Shaylin had a tooth that uh, should have been uh, removed months ago. And it's one of those where like her tooth was so like, it was, yeah, it was like coming out, it was like pointing at you. And I'm like, honey, your tooth is pointing at me. He's like, yeah, because it's afraid that you're going to pull it out. I'm like, good point. Um, but it's one of those where it's like, it's this really loose tooth and the tooth behind it is trying to grow. Right. And so by allowing it to just stay there, we're like, honey, we have to get that out. And she's afraid it's going to hurt, and she's afraid that it's going to be uncomfortable. And, and eventually, we had one night where we had this discussion way too close to bedtime, and it took way longer than expected. But we eventually got to the point where she was able to you know, use a flosser, and she ended up just getting it out. And it hurt a little. There's a little bit of blood, but it was something that was necessary to remove so that the adult tooth could be able to grow properly. That this is this idea of pruning. It might be hard initially, but the truth is, is it's for growth. Pruning leads to growth. So she thinks that, you know, we're trying to, to hurt her. She thinks that it's going to be this unfortunate thing. And we're trying to say, we just want you to grow. We want your tooth to be healthy. And so when we have a season of pruning, a season of difficulty, why do we think that God is trying to hurt us? We recognize that it's for our growth, yet we still think he's trying to hurt us or he's mad at us or he's angry. L.B. Coleman says this, he says, pruning seems to be destroying the vine. The garner appears to be cutting it all away, but he looks on into the future and knows that the final outcome will be the enrichment of its life and greater abundance of fruit. That there are areas in our lives, if you are walking with the Lord and you are bearing fruit and, and people can see that you are walking with God, it doesn't mean that your life is going to be easy. It means that sometimes God has to, as a responsible gardener, has to prune areas of our lives to cut out sins or hurts or habits or hangups or to bring up painful things, not because he wants to harm you, but because he wants to grow you so you can fulfill your purpose of a living union, one that is living because it is bearing much fruit. In fact, we see the specific idea in Hebrews 12. It says that, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? That you may have heard or, or you know, there's, there's an idea there that one of the things that could be most painful is when God just leaves us to our own desires. That it, it's the idea that we've fallen away from the vine and we've fallen off the, the vine and we're a branch that's on the ground. We're not bearing fruit. And if he leaves us to our own desires, those drive us further away from him. But if we want to be reattached 
If we want to come back into the vine, Romans 9 through 11 talks about how that can be grafted back in. And we don't have time to go into all that. But it's one of those things where we are never too far from God to be able to be brought home. And we are never too far gone to be able to have a right relationship with him. But it does mean that there might be times where if we are walking with God, we are pruning. doesn't mean he's mad at you. It's because he wants you to realize why he's made you. To bear more fruit. Because it's some of the difficult moments in our lives are what allow us to be a light to other people. That out of great darkness that we've experienced, we can be a light to other people along the path and point them to the light of the world. Third, because we are the branches, we've already looked at how God, Jesus is the vine, God is the gardener. Because we are the branches, we need the vine in order to fulfill our purpose of bearing much fruit. And we kind of signaled to this a moment ago. We cannot do any of this on our own. I cannot will myself to be able to just be more holy. It's not an act of try, trying. It's an act of training into following God's way. A, a branch cannot just try harder because if a branch on the ground separated from the vine it is impossible to be able to be able to produce and to bear more fruit. That is, branches, we aren't called to grow our own fruit. We are called to bear the fruit that the vine is growing within us. It's not about our trying. It's not about our effort. It's not about what we're able to do on our own. John 15, 5 through 8. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. There is our purpose again. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you or it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus cannot be more clear that our purpose as disciples, how do we show ourselves to be disciples of his? We bear much fruit and bearing much fruit means that we have to be Remaining in the vine means that we have to allow the, the gardener, the God, to have the freedom to cut away areas in our lives that need to be cut away and to be able to prune areas that seem to be painful, but he's doing so not for us just to experience pain, but for us to experience growth and to bring forth other people who are struggling in pain to see that growth is possible. We see that what are the fruit? What are the fruit that we, that we are able to do? And as we see in Galatians 5, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we can all try to be you know, loving or kind or good on our own for a season. But then it just gets too difficult. And if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit pouring through us because of our connection to the vine and bearing that fruit as we are his branches, then the fruit of the Spirit are something that we can, we can put a facade on for a while, but in the end, that fruit is spoiled or there's a worm inside or whatever it may be. Then we also see this idea in Matthew 17. We're going to look at a few verses here, but in this section, it talks about how in verses 17 through 20, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Again, Jesus in Matthew 7, this is in the, the Sermon on the Mount near the end of it. So in the very beginning of his ministry, he's saying, you will acknowledge, you will recognize my disciples by their fruit. And then now in John 15, as he's after the Last Supper, the final nights on earth, he's saying, by my fruit, you will recognize them. That are dis- as disciples, we are called to have a living union, a living one in which fruit is being born, God is being glorified, and people are able to find out who he is because of it. And so... That's a living union, and and I'm just going to take the remaining few minutes we have together to look at what does a loving union look like. So living shows us that our purpose is to bear fruit as his disciples, as his followers. Our purpose is to have a living union by bearing much fruit for his glory. But what does it look like to have a loving union with God? Not just one where we do and we produce and we're so busy that we fail to slow down, that we fail to be with him. What does it look like to have a loving union with him? And so in your notes, we're going to look at the first part there is that being in a loving union with Jesus isn't about doing more for him. It's about slowing down to be with him. It's not about doing more for him. Again, a branch cannot will itself to be able to produce fruit. It must bear the fruit that the vine is producing in him. And so We looked at that Matthew 7 section just a few moments ago in which it talks about a good tree only bears good fruit, bad tree bears bad fruit, and how they can't switch. This is the next verse. And this is one of the most sobering, I don't know, um, convicting verses that, that I think Jesus says. Because he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Again, remember, this is coming off the the heels of saying, bearing much fruit is how you'll know his disciples. He continues on. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That is a sobering verse. It's a convicting one. Because it shows us that being in a loving union with Jesus isn't just about the good works we do. That we could serve in a church every week, that we can serve in our community every week, that we can have Bible studies and we could do all these things and we could check off all the boxes just as they were saying, didn't we do miracles? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do all these things? Yet Jesus says, I never knew you. And sometimes we do all these good things because we want people to recognize us and and we want to be able to get attention. And so I would rather be known well by Jesus than to be well known by people. To be able to have Jesus, to be able to slow down enough that Jesus could say, I knew you, I know you. You've slowed down and you're not just about doing, you are about being with me, about remaining in me. Would you rather be known well by Jesus than to be well known by people? We look at this continuing on. The next point is that we mustn't try to earn his love. We must remain in it. Sounds similar, but but I want to give it a different uh, look. But here's verses 9 through 11. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. 
I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So it's not about earning. It's about remaining. That word remain means to abide is another one that you, call, you would often see, that you would abide in him, remain in him, dwell in him, stick with him, be united with him, have a union. So last July, I went to Lake Poway for a, um, uh, like a spiritual renewal day, a day to just kind of sit and to be in nature and um, being able to just have a quiet time. And, and it was through my arrow class, they kind of, uh, arrow leadership is something I've done and, and completed recently, but um, we're able to, they gave a prompt and say like, one of the prompts would be asking Jesus, what is it that you want to teach me today? And I was sitting there looking at, you know, on a bench, uh, looking out into the lake, and over a, a couple of benches over um, was a dad who was working with his daughter um, about math problems and trying to help her count how to help her multiply, I mean, just do different um, parts of math there. And, and as I was writing, I was trying to just be aware, I'm like, God, what are you trying to speak to me in this situation? What are you trying to show me? And one of the things I wrote in my journal is this idea that I was thinking about Shaylin and the perfectionism that she struggles with. And as I sit here, a dad is teaching his daughter math. He's patient and walks her through the problems. I want to be more patient with both Shaylin and Elise. But I was also thinking, so one thing was the patience. But then here's this. I was also thinking about telling Shaylin how much I love her, whether she gets every question right or every question wrong. I love her when she knows so much or not that much. I love her whether she feels perfect or not. And I've shared with you how much I struggle with perfectionism and how it pains me that that's something that she struggles with. And so this is what I was in response to asking Jesus what he wants to show me. Again, I love her whether she feels perfect or not. Is that what you want to share with me, Jesus? Do you want me to remember that there's nothing I can do to earn your love? Do you want me to remember that nothing can separate me from your love? Do you want me to remember that if I did nothing else for the rest of my life, you'd still love me as much as you do now? I love Shailen and Elise, not because of what they do, but because they're mine. Is that what you want me to remember today? I think so. And I remember and receive that. That it's important for us not to just say, oh, God loves me, but to remain in that love. Not to earn it, not to try to be perfect, not to be able to just have everything figured out, not to say, okay, because I got a good review at my job, then I'm earning God's love. Or because I've done these things, then I'm earning God's love. It's you've already been given God's love. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore. And there's nothing you could do to make him love you any less. Because he loves you because you're his. Not because of the work that you've done. And because of that, he loves you because you are remaining in him. That you're... Identity is found in not your earning, but in your remaining, your abiding, your staying with, and your sticking with God. And the last thing there is that when we remain in his love, we are free to share his love with others. That the final verse we're going to look at is verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That as I was thinking about Shailen and journaling about Shailen and how to share this kind of love with Shailen is when God reveals himself to me that how do I figure out as a dad, how do I share my love to my kids? That's when God, as our dad, tries to show me as his kid how he loves me, how he loves you. That it's not about your earning. 
It's a loving union in which we remain in that. We receive that love that he has for us. Does it mean that we stop caring? No, because then we'd be branches that would be falling off because we're not living. So it's both a living that we produce and bear fruit, but it's a loving in which we're united and remain in him. And it's not about how good we do, how hard we work. It's about allowing God to work in us even when it's hard. So as we close this morning, I just have a few questions that you can write down, you can process, you can, whatever it may be. Number one, are you living, are you in, sorry, a living union with Jesus? Do people look at you and and see that you are bearing fruit? And if so, are you right now experiencing a season of pruning? Because if that's you, remember that God as our gardener looks to the future and he sees your growth and the pain and the heartache you experience now will make you draw closer to him and then will be a light and a blessing to other people so that when they're struggling, you can say, listen, I don't know all you're going through, but I've been where you've been. Let me share with you something. There's still hope. That Jesus didn't just die and give us hope 2,000 years ago. He is the resurrection. He's still providing hope today. Or are you someone who your living union has fallen apart because like my phone, you're no longer connected and it's just slowly draining, slowly dying down, and you won't admit it because you could put on the facade of fruit for so long, but yet in the core, you know that this fruit is rotten because you are not remaining in the vine, that you are falling away and falling apart. And if that's you, know that that doesn't have to be the end of your story today. Another question, are you in a loving union with Jesus? Are you just worried about doing things and producing fruit to the point that you're not actually slowing down to be with him? And he would look and say, yeah, you're doing good things for the church and for my kingdom, but I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship with you. We never slowed down enough to talk, to pray, to journal. Or, or you're praying as you talking a lot to Jesus, but not being still enough to hear that we speak at our Lord all the time, but we rarely say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So are you still trying to earn his love or are you remaining in it? Recognize there's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore and there's nothing you can do to make him love you any less. He loves you because if you've given your life to Jesus, he loves you because you're his. And that's enough. And then lastly... You might say, I'm not in a living union. I'm not in a loving union. I'm yearning for a union with Jesus. And if that's you, then what's stopping you from making that decision today? How much longer do you need the the battery of your life to drain? How much longer do you need before all of a sudden it just slowly dies down and goes to zero and you're hopeless Helpless, lost. How much, what else needs to happen? Because if something else needs to happen, chances are it might happen because God is calling unto you and he'll take us or he'll keep calling to us to come to him. And we can either choose to receive it and be reattached or we can allow ourselves to be on the ground, slowly draining our lives down to zero. 
And if you're in a place where you need that living and loving union, in a few moments after our service, I'm going to stand up here and I would love nothing more than to pray with you. And I know I would not be the only one that would love to pray with you for that. But as followers of Jesus, as we close, our main point as followers of Jesus, our purpose is to have both a living union, one in which we are bearing fruit for the glory of God, not because of our own earning, but because he is working through us, and that we were to have a loving union with God in which we remain in his love. And in so doing, we've been filled up with his love so much that we can share his love with others. So they too can be connected to the vine and have a living and loving union with him as well. Jesus, we thank you so much for being our vine. We thank you for being the source of life. We thank you that you love us and that it's not about how much we do, how, how good our grades are, our reviews, or our, the way that the world keeps score. Lord, our score is not kept in the world the way that you keep it. Lord, for you, it's are, you, are we your children? Are we connected to the vine? Are we allowing you, God, to prune us for your glory to bear more fruit? And are we bearing fruit because we want to be your disciples and we want to live lives of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? God, I pray for each and every person that's hearing my voice, whether they're in the room or they're listening online later. And if there's anyone that is yearning for this loving and living union that does not have it, Lord, stir within their hearts. May they not be able to leave this place or, or stop this uh, sermon without praying to you and asking to be connected, to experience the power of being plugged into you as our source of life. So Jesus, I pray that you are stirring hearts now. And I pray for the boldness of people to respond to that stirring. Through prayer, and now as we sing through a time of worship through song. Lord, we love you and thank you for showing us our purpose in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.